BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Thursday edition of the Dunk Dive Basketball Podcast. Last night, we did part one of our playoff preview, including the Western Conference, and wrapped up Wednesday night's action. Now we're going to get to the East and maybe some news as well, if we have time, since uh, there has been some stuff that's come down since the end of the season already. We're sponsored today by Betterment. Go to betterment.com slash cap space to get up to six months of no fees for lower cost automated investing. And by the HBO special, J. Cole, for your eyes only, a Dreamville film airing 10 Eastern, 11 Pacific on Saturday, April 15th. All right, let's get right to it, Danny. We're just going to go in order of the seating. We'll start with the 1-8 series, the Chicago Bulls and the the number one seeded Boston Celtics. Still feels weird to say, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess, I mean, they've been the favorite for a time in the 538 odds, although I guess we never really quite believed it. And it's also interesting to think that had Cleveland played their guys, you'd have to imagine they probably would be the number one seed. I mean, all they needed, did did they, I guess they, yeah, they had the tiebreak. They only finished one game behind, right? Or did it end up being two? Well, no, Boston. Yeah, it ended up being two. Boston won that last game. So even if Cleveland had won against Toronto, they still would have gotten the two seed. Yeah, and they would have had to play their guys against Miami you imagine since they took them into overtime without uh, Irving and James but you know they opted for health and I think given the level of confidence that they have coming from the number two seed which they did in 2015 just seeing what LeBron James could do when he's healthy and engaged in the playoffs what Kyrie Irving has done at times uh in the playoffs as well when he's healthy they prioritize that probably the right decision uh and we'll see now uh what Boston could do you know we were asked yesterday on the Twitter NBA show which we did in kind of like a red zone style type of thing we were asked who had the biggest chance in the east of pulling an upset and i actually just eyeballing it thought it was the bulls then kp had a column last night saying he thought it was the bulls as well based on his model for uh, playoff performance which incorporates a few things like shortened rotations and the uh regular season series which uh, can have an impact in the first round he, he's found that that's uh potentially a significant factor how much of a chance are you given the bulls like if you had to just eyeball it in terms of their percent chance actually winning the series what would you say it is one in three 33 one in three that is incredibly high uh yeah i, I wouldn't go that high i mean for for it still is a one eight series um you know i would say maybe more like 20 percent for me that's at, what actually 20 percent is where i was going originally and i'm like that doesn't that seems too low so then i was gonna go one and four and then i went i should have settled on one and four instead of one and three made it a little bit more temperate but like i think the the reason why i'm a little bit higher on their chances of winning the series though i still that doesn't mean i think this is necessarily going to go long is that i see a pretty cohesive theory of how the bulls could do it just because boston's offense is so reliant on isaiah and isaiah is fabulous and i expect that he will do well but the lack of other alternatives in case he starts to stumble and the the big disparity which i think is kind of the definitive part of the series other than how the bulls defend isaiah is boston is a terrible defensive rebounding team chicago not only has offensive rebounding talent but actually tries for it and that could create the difference in a game or two which could be enough yeah the bulls though have dropped off since the early part of the season when they were really propping up their offense with fouls and offensive boards but i I do think that robin lopez could be a slight problem i actually don't really care though i I mean i I understand that the fundamentals for chicago and boston are pretty close to me boston has like a 2.5 point differential and chicago a 
although buoyed by an Orlando team that wasn't trying and a Nets team that wasn't trying. I mean, they won their last two games by like a combined like 70 points or something, uh, giving the Magic their worst defeat in franchise history on Monday. Uh, so the Bulls point differential is probably buoyed a little bit. Um, and I also don't really like the way this Chicago team matches up very well with Boston, uh, especially defensively. You mentioned Isaiah Thomas, the Bulls don't really have an option to defend him. Jimmy Butler is a great defender on bigger wings, strong, competes, but I don't think that if they're if they're going to put him on Isaiah Thomas, chasing him around dribble handoffs the entire game, he's not going to have enough energy for offense. Rajon Rondo, not known for his defense. He can get engaged every once in a while, but gener- over the course of a seven-game series, I don't expect him to be able to keep up. Uh, Jerry and Grant, is he going to guard Isaiah? They're going to unearth uh, Michael Carter Williams and, and see if he can guard him. Uh, Dwayne Wade, if he has to switch onto him, it has no chance at all. Uh, Denzel Fountain. I mean, th- their smalls are just not very good defensively, not the type of players that you look at that have given Thomas problems in the past, and he's much better than ever before. So I expect Isaiah to have a monster series. That's number one. Number two, you mentioned the defensive rebounding. Yeah, okay, that could be a little bit of a problem for Boston, but I'll tell you what's a bigger problem for Chicago is Robin Lopez trying to guard Al Horford on the perimeter we've seen Boston just destroy uh, a team like the Jazz Rudy Gobert is a lot better than uh, Robin Lopez is I think Lopez especially if these games are close late uh, is going to get played off the floor and, and we've just seen Boston is really has worked the Bulls especially both times in Boston. They created basically the nadir of the Bulls season uh, a couple of months ago on, on ABC. And then an early game during the year, uh, the Bulls were able to come back uh, late, but you know got blown out for most of that game as well. So, uh, I mean, I really... Uh, I'm not sure what lineups, especially front court combinations, Fred Hoiberg is going to be able to go to that can be effective defensively. Something else that worries me from the Bulls' perspective is that they don't have a lot of options in case their primary things don't work. You know, they they have a very shallow bench after trading McDermott and Taj Gibson for Cameron Payne, who is, you know, a limited part of their rotation at best. And so if Lopez is having trouble on Horford, are they going to turn to Cristiano Felicia? Like, where are they going to go with this if, if those if those elements struggle whereas let's say boston trying to guard jimmy butler they have a series of different guys who who can work and that also allows them to stay fresh in a way that i wouldn't say that i think they have i think they have two guys uh, I think Butler is probably too big for Avery Bradley. Uh, so it's basically going to be smart and Crowder. I guess, you know, I guess Jalen Brown, they could go to yeah. as well. I, I think, I mean, I could see Brown like getting into foul trouble, trying to guard Butler, you know, falling for pump fake. Yeah, Same if thing. He's, if he's their third or fourth option, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, that's better than the Bulls options comparatively to guard Isaiah. No, that, that, that's a great point. Yeah. So I don't think that while these teams fundamentals are closer than you would think, and you could maybe even make the argument that Jimmy Butler when you throw in his defense is the best player in the series I don't think so I think Isaiah is better than him but he could play he could end up playing better than Isaiah and I do see your argument about hey you know maybe like they could take the ball out of Isaiah's hands and the Celtics wouldn't be able to make threes and that would be a problem but they just don't have the personnel to do that they don't have bigs who can get out on the perimeter and trap Isaiah they don't have someone along the lines of an Amon Shumpert uh you know or or the, the trapping defense that the Hawks could deploy to slow down Isaiah so I mean I think the, the Bulls got to just kind of hope that the Bulls are going to give up a ton of three-pointers in this series uh and they just got to kind of hope that the Celtics kind of mediocre shooters miss them something else we also have to mention here is that this is the biggest coaching disparity in the entire first round and Stevens has been not only does he have better control of his own team but I think he's substantially better in terms of making adjustments and reads and that helps in if it's potentially a long series we don't know if it's going to be but it helps and ratchets up the more significant the games are yeah I I agree with you there as well another thing is that the bulls are going to be really dependent on nikola miritic making his shots uh since it's not march he may not make them uh we'll see i mean he could definitely get hot a couple of games and then you know i expect those games to be pretty competitive i don't see the bulls as having a huge home court advantage in this series uh when they get home by most accounts this the city is uh unenthused for this bulls team and and boston for a team that has a number one seed you, you expect that their fans are going to be pretty riled up as as well so i i don't necessarily see uh just in terms of the matchup the more we, we're thinking about this i know i do i still think it is the most likely upset uh just because 
these teams are pretty close in quality uh but i do think that boston really has the matchup advantage uh i mean what do you think are going to be some of the key questions we hit on the idea of whether lopez can stay on the floor late against horford whether the celtics are going to play amir johnson at the end i'm guessing probably not they'll probably just go with smart at the three uh and uh crowder at the four to close games maybe braun will get get in there a little bit too any other strategic questions that you see for either of these coaches kelly olenek how he functions where they use him whether he plays backup center plus some power forward or whether they bounce it around a little bit yesterday against the bucks they ended up using him at center but he got in foul troubles they had to use tyler zeller and zeller was generally pretty awful so how stevens manages his his big man rotation and whether he goes small more often is a big tactical question especially because the bulls i don't trust their overall wing rotation so going small challenges them in ways that they might not be able to handle yeah that's a good point too this bulls team now doesn't have taj gibson on it anymore olenic whom you mentioned is he's kind of like the celtics Miritich in some ways except you know he's like the seventh or eighth man on the celtics they don't rely on him to perform every game and the bulls don't have anybody who's going to really be able to attack a linic in the post which is one of his big weaknesses getting into foul trouble uh another big time in this series the bulls are, have been you know about plus two plus three uh with jimmy butler on the floor in terms of net rating and like negative nine when he's been off this year you imagine that he's going to have to play a ton of minutes how many minutes is a ton of minutes going to be is is hoiberg going to be able to hold him down to 40 or is he going to be playing like 45 minutes and maybe not have anything left by the end of the game or maybe he can't even play that long you know that's a that's a possibility too uh and then you know Dwayne Wade can he carry the Bulls offense when Butler's off the floor and then the Celtics Isaiah he's played you know really only 34 minutes a game and has been incredible in those minutes can he ramp up his minute usage as well in the playoffs? I mean, the type of game that he plays moving off the ball so much, the Bulls will probably also try to get him in small, small pick and rolls as much as possible down the end of games if these games are close. Uh, so is he going to get worn out a little bit? How many minutes can he play? And then what happens when those two stars are off the floor? You know, the Celtics can struggle to score without Isaiah, obviously the Bulls without Butler. You know, who's going to win that matchup? I think I do like the Celtics a little better because at least they can defend uh in the time when their star is off the floor and i think that's going to be the biggest difference here i think the celtics can defend a lot better than this bulls team if the bulls maximized their rotation and did things like making sure wade was on the floor when butler wasn't i would feel a lot more confident about their prospects there but in i'm yeah, not they'll sure do that at all. they'll do that yeah, they'll, they'll do, do that. it but like and but the rest of their rotation like they don't have just kind of the the ancillary pieces to make that sing i mean they can do okay but you know it's again this is going back to the idea that i've been and i'll talk about this when i make my prediction of this Bulls team versus the talent they had before the trade because while I you know I can understand why they wanted to to move Taj Gibson who was an expiring contract and everything else this series in particular they're hurt pretty dramatically by the guys that they lost in that trade yeah that's a great point too and if indeed Lopez cannot stay on the floor late in games who are they going to go to then I mean maybe is it going to be Miritich at center I mean that Felicio is a little more mobile than Lopez but you know a little bit spacey not really someone that you want playing down the end of games in a playoff game you don't think even though I think he has some potential I mean is Hoiberg going to go to Bobby Portis who really you know can get hot every once in a while but is an awful defensive player Paul Zipser uh, I think could be a key figure in this series you know is it going to be Zipser and Butler at forward I mean if they had Zipser and Butler at forward and they still had Todd Gibson at center then maybe you could say all right that's a lineup that could match up pretty well with this Celtics team but you know uh, obviously they no longer have Gibson and you know so I mean it's Miritich at center that's going to be inadequate defensively Lopez is too slow they just don't have a good option for matching up late in games with with the Celtics team I think uh, if the Celtics have been unbelievable in the clutch this year as well I mean we'll see whether that carries over or not but you know what Isaiah Thomas has done in fourth quarters so uh, that's another thing too I mean I think some of these games will be close but I really like how the Celtics match up down the end of games compared to the Bulls who uh, for their part have really struggled uh, a lot of times in the clutch that's been a little better lately but other than just a small small pick and roll or you know a 3-5 pick and roll with Jimmy Butler they don't really run anything else whereas Brad Stevens they run good shit at the end of games that 
they do. Are we ready for predictions? Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go uh, Celtics seven. You know what? No, no, you know what? No, I'm not going to actually. I, I've I was that's what was my pick going in, and in discussing this, uh, I think I'll go Celtics in six as well because I I could also see this Bulls team just kind of emotionally laying down in, in a game six at home. Um, so I, I think I'll go Celtics in in six on talent purely alone. I think this is Celtics in five, but I'm gonna go with six just because the idea of random chance and variance for a game. You know, I th- I think this Bulls team is capable of, of swiping two. So I'm going to, I think it's six. I'm mad you didn't say seven just because I think that would have given me a lot of real estate that I was comfortable with. But six <laughs> is the most likely outcome. Yeah, well, I mean, we're uh, hopefully we're not employing too much game theory in our I guess we should make you go first next uh, for the next series. Uh, too much game theory kind of in our yearly competition. Who, who won last year, by the way? Do you even remember between us of like who had the the picks? I think I did, but I I'm not completely sure. Yeah, I think I, I feel like you might have two. I, I know that I I know I did two won. years ago. Oh, you won two years ago? Didn't I? I thought I thought I did because I got the Clippers Spurs series right and you did. Oh yeah, you're, I think that, which probably means that I won last year because I seem to remember I won once. So okay. Well, you know, I mean that would be fair, right? <laughs> yeah, that's we we agree to it beforehand. Obviously, obviously, this means a lot to us since neither of us can remember what happened. Uh, all right, we will get to our next series here, which is the Cavs and Pacers. But first, this from HBO. We've been telling you about it all week. I'm going to actually watch this thing. J. Cole, For Your Eyes Only, a Dreamville film, the Grammy-nominated hip-hop star's second HBO special, which debuts on Saturday, April 15th. That's two days from now as we record this. 10 Eastern, 11 Pacific. It's a multi-narrative show that combines music performances with intimate interviews documented through Cole's lens. It showcases songs from his fourth album and also reveals some of the concerns, struggles, the confessions of people living in the American South. Cole captures some of these stories in Baton Rouge, Atlanta, Ferguson, Missouri, Cole's hometown of Fayetteville, North Carolina, his dad's hometown of Jonesboro, Arkansas. And he looks at how these small towns, a, a lot of them, Jonesboro, Arkansas in particular, uh, resemble the rest of the country in their struggles with integration. Uh, Cole's album, For Your Eyes Only, was released a couple of months ago and it debuted at number one and it sold 492,000 units in its first week. The New York Times, the not failing New York Times, held it as one of the year's most finely drawn albums and uh, calls Cole a rap star without rap star trappings, a parallel universe champion. So tune in Saturday, April 15th, 10 Eastern, 11 Pacific for the premiere of J. Cole, For Your Eyes Only, a Dreamville film exclusively on HBO. Well, I think I like the way that this these matchups turned out uh, because LeBron James against Paul George is always great theater. Uh, the Pacers did beat the Cavs once in a game when LeBron rested at home. Another game this year, the Pacers had won seven straight. Thad Young went out with an injury and the Cavs just destroyed them, put up a buck 32 on them in the former Conseco Fieldhouse, now Bankers Life Fieldhouse. And then there were, they had a double overtime classic earlier uh, that the Pacers ended up losing, but uh, looked pretty good playing against the Cavs, although a lot of teams have looked pretty good playing against the Cavs as the Cavs have had basically a neutral net rating uh, since the All-Star break. Uh, so I think the number one question for me in this series is just who is going to guard Paul George for this Cavaliers team and are they going to switch a lot you know you saw a lot of miscommunications in that double overtime game that the Cavs improbably ended up winning uh that uh, pin downs for Paul George that's how Tristan Thompson and LeBron started yelling at each other about breakdowns LeBron wanted Thompson to switch a little bit more uh but I mean really like the way these teams match up who else is going to guard George but LeBron James in big moments I'm not as much concerned about who's going to guard him in the big moments I feel like that's going to be LeBron but those might be the only moments at least early on where LeBron guards Paul George and they don't have many options for that I mean this is different than when they face the Raptors in in various series because they just don't have you know that third guy is is very different than it is for the uh, CJ Miles, depending on who they want to go with at various moments, you know. So I wouldn't trust J.R. Smith on Paul George. Maybe you use Richard Jefferson for stretches, which is another part of the reason why I was critical of what Cleveland did this past offseason. But something else to remember about this, and while I'm not wringing my hands about Cleveland's post-All-Star break swoon, the Pacers also have a better net rating than the Cavs since January 1st. So this is a little bit of a larger thing. Of course, that part post-All-Star break weighs heavily in that sample. But 
the Pacers have played pretty well this year. They had that rough stretch at the beginning of the year. Jeff Teague did turn his ankle in the last game, but it sounds like he's not going to miss it, miss any playoff games. Granted, not missing and being 100% are very, very different things, but the Pacers are certainly capable. Whether they can put that together against Cleveland, a team that has arguably similar and greater strengths than the Pacers is a very different question. Yeah, and if you look at the big problem why the Pacers disappointed this year is that their bench sucked. And, you know, that was obviously a big problem. That's why they lost that Raptors series too, especially because Frank Vogel, you know, just put out some pretty asinine lineups in that game seven, uh, that game five, especially when they blew a huge lead on the road to the Raptors but this team much of the core of which is back still uh Paul George in particular I guess that's he and Turner are really the only ones and and Miles uh but you know if they don't have to play their crappy backup bigs I don't think Al Jefferson is necessarily going to be back he's a horrible matchup uh, against uh Cleveland's second unit Uh, but I think with the starters on the floor, Indiana can compete pretty well we've seen Lance Stevenson actually has looked pretty decent in a Pacers uniform uh George has been killing it really the last month and a half or so now. Um, and as we mentioned, the, the Cavs are swooning and they really, you know, they have Richard Jefferson and they have LeBron. Those are really the only two true small forwards on this team, I guess, unless you want to go to Dante Jones, who they just signed yesterday. Uh, but uh, you imagine he's not going to play at all. So, yeah, I mean, it, you know, Kevin Love can't guard Paul George if they're in their starting lineup. And, and he might even be struggle a little bit to guard Thad Young as well and you know Thompson can switch a little bit but then JR is too small Shumpert is too small to guard George uh, who loves to just come off of pin downs or work in isolations and shoot over the top of guys uh, and considering how well George is playing right now and then he can cause problems for LeBron on the other end uh, you mentioned oh I think at the big moments will be LeBron guarding him I mean he's gonna have to guard him at the start of the I mean they, unless they put JR on him and then you you put uh, LeBron on CJ Miles I think he's gonna have to guard him for like most of this series unless Richard Jefferson is in the game and you know especially if they're running uh, Paul George off screens that was always LeBron's biggest weakness as a defender and even in his heyday and now I don't think he can keep up with him at all yeah that's something that I've been considering and also I've been wondering it when the Cavs go really more all offense so they play love at center or go to some of those real four stretchy lineups they will be sacrificing something defensively you know like the, the, you, those units will have a much harder time limiting when Teague penetrates when Paul George can get ahead of steam but I'm not sure that the Pacers can do enough to mitigate those lineups and do enough to score themselves to just make it to make it a real slugfest like I don't I don't think they can and they can hang with them in those real high-flying lineups. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, if they close games with Love at center, which I could see them absolutely doing, you know, Miles Turner has to be on the floor. He's just that good of a player. Can he get out on someone like Kevin Love? Are they going to just try to hide him on Shumpert or, or Richard Jefferson? If those guys are, are on the floor, that'll be fascinating down the end of games. And I think it'll also be very interesting to see what happens at the start of the second quarter. That typically is the time when Paul George rests. That is also typically the time that LeBron James comes back in. They've actually been playing James at center recently in those lineups, and those lineups have been pretty effective. Uh, But or even if James is at power forward, now you have both George out of the game. And then you also have, you know, Kavine Serafin or if Al Jefferson can get healthy or Lavoie Allen, if they're going to play him like and that's going against Channing Fry playing as a shooting center like that's not going to work. So I, if there are any times when James is in the game and George is off, I mean, I think McMillan just has to junk his rotation and go very ad hoc and just match up PG with LeBron at all times. Um, if he doesn't do that any time when LeBron is in the game and George isn't like they're just going to get completely smacked. My- My feeling on this series, and I've kind of thought this ever since the matchup came out last night, is that the Pacers certainly can win. I'm I'm not going to discount that possibility, but this looks to me more like a series where it puts more miles on Cleveland than they want, but that they still win. And that is a very bad thing for Cleveland's chances of making the finals or winning the finals, because by virtue of falling from the one seed to the two, they're also getting a much harder second round series. And I don't want to look too far past it, but I think that could be the enduring 
legacy of this series should it have one yeah it just i like what the starting lineup and i think actually getting stevenson if he's really gonna play and play off the bench uh you know he's another guy you can switch on to lebron maybe he can guard him a little bit if george is out of the game he's obviously has experience doing that probably not the same player as he was with the pacers years ago uh but and you know maybe thad young can do it a little bit but that's more of like a normal uh power forward these days you know not used to chasing perimeter guys around as much you mentioned teague's ankle too i think we'll see again the cavaliers have had a lot of success against teague in the playoffs the last two years going under on pick and rolls and you know making teague beat them from the outside uh if he i think Teague can be effective getting to the rim if healthy because this is a team that has so little rim protection you know especially if he's getting uh in a pick and roll with love and irving i think he can be effective there and and you wonder i guess it's going to be irving trying to guard teague so that that'll be an issue potentially uh for the pacers uh and then you know but if it's thompson switching out onto teague then can teague actually beat thompson if they lay off and let teague shoot a three or you know what are they going to do there i mean I, i would like to see them maybe get that switch early in possessions and then try to let paul george go to work at that point uh with nobody really there to protect the rim or maybe let Monte Ellis try and attack that's one question I think the the biggest strategic question for me is what McMillan is going to do at shooting guard I mean he really has three options there now in Stevenson CJ Miles and Monte Ellis he's largely has closed games with Ellis Ellis closed that game lately he has closed that double overtime game uh I still think that Miles is by far the better option especially because Cleveland late in games loves to go to those small small pick and roles and ellis provides another liability there uh anything else you see from a strategic standpoint that pops out to you with that the coaches will be looking at i don't know if this counts as strategic but i don't think we've talked enough about Kyrie irving irving has been the central figure for the Cavs when he's been healthy in a lot of big games big series and we talked about how you know the the Cavs don't really have that many answers for lebron the pacers guard rotation does not have many answers yeah sorry yeah the their pacers guard rotation does not have many answers for Kyrie Irving yeah with uh George Hill being traded I mean I do think T gives them a little more juice off the pick and roll offensively uh, but yeah I think that that's a great point to me uh and especially when you consider that Miles Turner effective defending the rim but not really that good in space you have to imagine that Kyrie will be able to really work in the mid-range get a good mid-range shot whenever he cares well, to and, oh uh, that's and, a tactical so a thing problem. yeah when Miles Turner gets in foul trouble because that's going to happen in this series oh yeah he, yeah and now and, and now they're just I mean are they going to bring it like uh, Glenn Robinson the third I think he's still struggling with a calf injury you know who's uh, Rakeem Christmas maybe is like the most mobile of their bigs Lavoie Allen like these guys are just not going to get it done Pacers backup point guard is going to be another open sore like Aaron Aaron Brooks is the guy who a lot of times plays there or they'll play Ellis there sometimes but like those guys are going to get worked defensively like it's really I just don't think this Pacers team even with if you're going to assume that Stevenson is going to play reasonably well uh this Pacers team just does not have enough good players uh and that they, they can't take advantage of a Cavs team that kind of has the same problem uh but I mean especially those second units with LeBron and a bunch of shooters around him I see I think those units are just going to completely destroy Indiana and that a lot of these games will be won and lost in those time periods and the Miles Turner foul issue can also rear its head in the idea of that they if they need him to scale up in minutes that can be the the, the constraint on doing that for big men is just can you stay in the game yeah and you can also see Paul George potentially getting in foul trouble trying to guard LeBron in a game or two as well so that that could be another issue um anything else that that pops out to you about this series before we move on no that's about it oh well we need to make predictions <laughs> yes yes well uh, i was making sure we're ready for that all right well so yep. you have to go first this time i do i have been leaning calves in six this whole time i don't know exactly why i think it's partially because i feel like it can go seven just because of the way cleveland's playing right now and it could go five so i i so when i'm legitimately unsure between three options i kind of choose the middle one and i have no fear of cleveland's ability to win in indiana that's not a concern for me at all so i have no you know it's not it's not picking something uncommon for that reason so i'm gonna go Cavs in six this conversation made me turn a little bit more towards Cavs in five than i was before but i'm staying with six yeah you know 
I just don't quite believe in the Pacers defense enough I think they just have no chance of slowing down this Cavs team uh and even though they may have some games where they score pretty well themselves I mean they're they're just not built to shoot enough threes to keep up with Cleveland when they're at their best and maybe the Cavs will miss some threes and that uh, have some games where they go you know 10 out of 40 from three-point range uh but I'm gonna go Cavs five I think uh I'm I'm uh especially with LeBron able to play even more minutes now though he was playing a lot in the regular season but uh I just and I think the Pacers don't have the personnel really to exploit the lack of big men Teague's injury is concerning to me as well you know I mean he's he definitely has ankle sprains and is able to play on those in the past but you know the, the fact that he had to just go straight to the locker room in that game was, was a little concerning to me so I, I'll believe that he's fully healthy when I see him and uh with all that being the case yeah i think uh, i think i'll go Cavs five are we writing these down by the way we should probably write these down i'll uh create a google doc for this afterwards uh let's move on now to the three six series one that uh, i'm probably looking forward to second most among all these playoff series uh toronto and milwaukee lots of fun all over the court but where i want to start this conversation is chris middleton and demar Derozan. middleton is an underrated defender but i'm legitimately unsure how he's going to fare in that particular matchup because I think of DeRozan as being worse against kind of stronger maybe even a little bit longer like more small forward types but I do think Middleton can do a good job yeah that does appear like it's going to be the matchup one advantage that the Bucks have is Toronto really likes to try to get DeRozan switched on to point guards Malcolm Brogdon I think is just about as good as it gets to match up with DeRozan as a point guard because the way that DeRozan scores I actually think Middleton just from a physical standpoint can do okay the way DeRozan scores is he's not really beating anybody with quickness he's kind of working to his spot he's getting his shoulder into guys and creating room for his mid-ranger which he can then elevate uh i think that middleton is a pretty strong guy he actually operates in very similar fashion himself on the offensive end although it doesn't have you know quite the scoring prowess that derozan has and then you know brogdon if they need him to switch on and of course Giannis as well uh even someone like Thon Maker can hang with DeRozan a little bit too uh if Maker is going to play so I think I like the Bucks ability to defend DeRozan Kyle Lowry maybe not quite as much but it, it is going to be very interesting because this isn't a Toronto team especially now that they don't have Terrence Ross that, that shoots it incredibly well the Bucks are very very aggressive defensively uh and they like to take the ball out of guys hands Lowry DeRozan uh, on those pick and rolls I think they might really try and blitz them make other guys beat them uh it'll be interesting to see that's that's the number one strategic issue here is is toronto really going to be able to beat that strategy with these bucks athletes running all over the floor i think that this bucks team to the extent that they do succeed defensively does it by really surprising people overwhelming them where you don't see that strategy as often in the regular season i think given time to really get used to it uh, that toronto will get better at going against them defensively throughout the course of the series that's one argument the other argument you can make though is that this Toronto offense, especially late in games, is very station to station. They don't have a ton of flow uh, and they're pretty predictable themselves. And so it might be easier for the Bucs than on a team like, say, you know, a Utah that really moves the ball a lot and like gets a lot of corner threes. You don't see that as much from Toronto so uh, I think that's going to be the big matchup to me I want to see what happens Toronto's offense uh, against this Bucks defense yeah I'm excited about that and your idea of how stagnant the Toronto offense gets late is important because I think Milwaukee has good personnel to handle them when they're stagnant you know the one-on-one matchups in this series while they're you know Brogdon is young I think he can do a decent enough job on Lowry Middleton on on DeMar DeRozan and that ties in with the other one that I'm really interested in which is if Dwayne Casey goes with Ibaka at center to close or for various moments how does Jason Kidd react to that it could be Thon Maker it could be a few other things but I don't see I'd be shocked if it was Thon Maker I mean but like none of their other other guys like are they going to use Greg Monroe at center in those circumstances I mean I think like if it were me I probably could just put Monroe on uh on PJ Tucker I I don't think Tucker is like such a good shooter now I mean that's that's the the question with Kidd I mean he he's Kidd is I, I shouldn't maybe I shouldn't have scoffed at 
much at maker because kid definitely is like you know mr recency bias like he will go oh, yeah. with whoever he whoever he thinks is playing well you know in the last 30 seconds that's who's going to be out there it's also for me an issue of just the bucks not having that many other options i mean i could see him just getting mad as you know henson could struggle in those lineups monroe could struggle defensively and you're right that putting monroe or henson on a different player might be a way of making that work i also don't think Dwayne casey is creative enough to really exacerbate a lot of those issues but i don't know exactly how they're going to play it and i'm also interested in what role Mirza Toledovic plays in this series his ability to just nail beyond the arc or sorry beyond the break threes is un- is unusual and something that teams can have trouble adjusting to but I also don't think he's gonna play enough to necessarily swing that many games yeah it'd be interesting to see whether he or Beasley gets more time I mean, you, you mentioned Middleton uh potentially guarding DeRozan you know it, it might even be that Tony Snell is the one who starts on him as well I, I, I that's the one matchup I don't like quite as much Snell has improved he's gotten stronger he has good length uh but not really athletic enough and I think DeRozan is way stronger than him. I actually I think DeRozan can be effective in that matchup uh more than maybe against Middleton but but we'll see I mean Middleton you he He's not that quick, but I, I do think he's a little bit stronger. It'll be interesting to see. But for those three guys on the perimeter and then Giannis at the four, that is a very, very switchable lineup. So any any one through four pick and roll involving DeRozan or Lowry, I think that the Bucks could switch that pretty effectively. It's just then, you know, what are they doing at center? I think Greg Monroe, this is, I, I think... I know that Kidd has been starting Thon Maker. I would think very seriously about starting Greg Monroe, having him match up uh, on the defensive glass against Jonas Valanciunas, uh, because I think some of these Raptors lineups, the Lowry plus bench lineup, uh, the closing lineup perhaps are not as good a matchups for Monroe if they're playing a pocket center. Right. I, I think that's a good, I think that's a sound piece of logic, especially considering there will be places for guys like Thon Maker at other points in the game if they want to incorporate him and there are fewer places for Monroe. I also don't think they're going to use a floor spacing center as much to take advantage of Valanciunas' limitations in that realm so you might as well use the guy who kind of plays into it and gives you maybe not an advantage but keeps it close in that way the start of the second quarter we keep saying this but i mean so many of these playoff games are won and lost in these times start of the fourth quarter the bucks the last few bucks games i've seen at least have been take Giannis out with about six minutes left in, in the first quarter presumably they'll reduce that a little bit and then he actually has been starting the second quarter that of course is when the famous lowry plus bench units will get to work so i do like that for the bucks that they'll at least have some of you know their best player out there in theory during that time if the matchups continue uh, or the rotations continue to go the way they have in the regular season uh what we haven't talked much about toronto defense defending this Bucks team uh, how do you see that shaking out it's going to be a real challenge for them because when they use Giannis as an initiator which they do not always do of course you know that it's it's a it's a convoluted kind of mechanism on that team I don't really trust any of the Bucks forwards in terms of that as a, a one-to-one matchup and depending on how they use screens and everything like that and the underrated weak point for them is if DeMar DeRozan consistently loses Middleton because Middleton gets loose and gets open and Giannis or whoever else can find him for that pass and if he hits you know 40% or whatever of his threes in that in those circumstances it might create a margin that gets a little bit harder for Toronto to match yeah that's gonna be interesting kid likes to go to his own small small pick and rolls isos down the end of games as well and teams for whatever reason try to do that against kyle lowry and lowry has slipped defensively this year but he's strong he's not someone that is just easy meat for a larger player i always felt like teams should isolate DeRozan more on those plays uh, and they just haven't really you know for whatever reason they don't do that i think teams don't actually really understand like what a non-competitor he is defensively uh so we'll see whether that happens another thing that i'm concerned with is i think kid is going to play jason terry way too much in this series uh you know i think terry should be playing like five minutes a game they have guys in in snell middleton with him being back now brogdon della vadova though he's struggled at times this year uh i would rather they they play toletovich and play a little bigger than than go with terry uh who you know i mean he can hit a shot every once in a while and he's a vet but you know he's he's pretty washed up at, at this point and, and someone who can really be exploited defensively although I, I i've been impressed with his effort this year but you know i mean he's 
39 years old or whatever it is so uh i think that they're gonna have to not do that i think where they slot in monroe i do think that toronto has a big coaching advantage in this one and they also just have a lot of great personnel i mean with patterson pj tucker ibaka i mean part of why i'm so excited about this series is i think that these are two teams that really now uh, can play very versatile, uh, have a lot of athletes you know really uh can switch a lot of things could be deployed in a lot of different ways and i do trust Dwayne casey to do a little better job of that than jason kidd i think kids coaching you know especially how ad hockey is is just not really going to work very well in the playoffs where you have to be so much more concerned about like what your specific matchup is uh, at a given time. How are you feeling about the forward combination, like especially in terms of guarding Giannis? Like, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I keep on thinking like, oh, the Raptors have these oh, structural... P- PJ Tucker is going to put Giannis on lock when they yeah. match up, I think. I, I think that you know Giannis is not a guy who's going to blow by, uh, doesn't have a great jump shot. And Tucker is just, really good at getting into guys like Giannis will not have the strength advantage on him yeah so I mean maybe if Valanciunas is in the game you know it'll be different but I expect that Valanciunas's minutes are going to be you know 20 or below at this time I mean the the one danger is that I think Valanciunas could be very effective offensively at the beginning of games especially if he's matched up with Maker and so Casey needs to not uh, get too excited about that success and start playing him instead of a bucket centered or down the end of games. Uh, and also, I think whether they if they play Tucker at the three, I could see them maybe start struggling to score a little bit. You know, I think he really needs to play at the four. And they also have Patterson who can play some four as well. That'll be an is- interesting decision of whether it'll be Tucker, Jamari Carroll, uh, whether Norman Powell will get back in the mix. He's been out of the rotation with Dalen Wright playing more, uh, you know, whether it's Tucker at the three, Patterson at the four, Tucker at the four. That's going to be a lot to sort out as well. Um, and then whenever Valanciunas fits in, I mean, I think I could see Valanciunas kind of getting the Keith Bogans. Maybe you bring him back in at some point, you know, in the second quarter just to get him like a few minutes, but uh, hopefully they won't play him too much uh, down the end of games because I think he could have success against Maker, who is, you know, for all of his talent, is, is probably always going to be a bad defensive rebounder. And uh, Valanciunas is just going to like shove him over the baseline on every offensive rebound attempt. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm trying. To, is there anything else that you feel like we need to discuss from this series? It's an interesting one to, to wrap it, uh, my head around. I, I do think I, I think that Toronto can be a lot better than Milwaukee in the clutch, both because they'll be playing their best lineup with a bucket center. Because I think that Milwaukee, for all Giannis's gifts, he's not great at just creating a shot himself down the end of games. They do have DeRozan and Lowry. I think that those guys are more experienced, better guys at creating shots than, than really any one that Milwaukee has uh how concerned are you about Lowry's health I mean I think I'm ready to assume he's just going to be fine he looks pretty good I'm not particularly concerned he has looked good since he got back I mean you always have a little bit a little bit of doubt but that has been reduced not only by the way he has played but the minutes he has played yeah and I mean he's shot the ball pretty well on pull-up threes uh, so that I mean that's the big thing that's made him so good this year I mean he's shooting well over 40 percent on threes on some pretty difficult attempts so you know there's always the potential uh, that Lowry could have like some inexplicably bad series and just you know not uh, for whatever reason just not be able to shoot again like that just seems to happen to him sometimes in the playoffs but uh, I'm willing to just kind of think that that's more noise at least as of right now uh especially against you know this isn't like an elite opponent or anything it's not an opponent with a ton of playoff experience I mean, Giannis, this will be his first playoffs as like really a main guy. Monroe has never been in the, the playoffs before. Uh, Brogdon is a rookie, although an experienced one maker. Del Vadova at least has some experience, but, you know, he's not really one of their main guys anymore. Uh, so uh, Snell, this will be really his first major playoff experience as well. Uh, so I... I'd, and, and Toronto, I mean, they just have a ton of experience at this point. So I think that's a, another component. Uh, it's my turn to pick here. I'm going to go Toronto in five. I'm going Toronto in six. I originally thought seven, but I so I, I think this is a nice little kind of tie back. 
I said that the Bulls were really hurt in their series by the guys they traded away. And I think the reason Toronto is going to win this series is the moves that they made at the deadline. If they didn't have Ibaka and they didn't have PJ Tucker, I if this theoretical matchup had happened that way, we of course don't know if it would have, I might not have even picked them to win the series. But I think that those guys make it so much harder for what Milwaukee does well that they're, they have a very, very good chance in this series. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, and also just looking at the fundamentals, I mean, Toronto, even with Lowry missing just about every game since the All-Star break, by far the best point differential in the East. Milwaukee, their 17-10 and 10 record, I think they actually had a negative net rating despite that since the All-Star break. So they are a little bit of a paper tiger to me, uh, kind of got lucky during the season. So that's why I'm going Toronto in five. I will get to our last series, Hawks-Wizards, in a second, and then do our overall playoff predictions for the finals and whatnot. But first, this from our friends at Betterment. Betterment is lower cost automated investing. It's lower cost than most traditional financial services. And they have a couple of tools, uh, I mean, more than two, but the two that I find most interesting, a tax impact preview. So if you are going to withdraw, move your funds around, they will give you an indication of how that's going to change your taxes. And they also have smart deposit. You can set your smart deposit to withdraw a certain amount from your bank account each month. Or if you get above a certain preset limit like say you say we need five thousand dollars for day-to-day expenses anything above five thousand you can just set it to withdraw that way so it's great for freelancers independent contractors like danny and i uh, to still invest when you don't even necessarily have uh, a steady of a regular income the way to get started with betterment betterment.com slash cap space will get you up to six months of no fees that's betterment.com slash cap space betterment investing made better all right well i'm glad we waited to do uh the best for last right uh i mean i i have to say though that part of the reason why i've been frustrated with the hawks the last little while is unfair because it was the time they played without paul Millsap, and they've been a lot more intriguing and better when he's been on the floor yeah, I mean, if this is, we're going to anoint this as the worst series, which it might be Spurs Grizz, but probably not. I'd say it would be this series. This series definitely has probably like the least intriguing overall talent in it. I mean, it's a lot less crappy than the worst series in a lot of years. Agreed. Absolutely. Uh, and the Hawks, while they do have a negative point differential overall, are the worst team in the playoffs by quite a bit by that metric. They've had some moments this year where they've played extremely well. I mean, they won three out of four against Cleveland for example including an early season victory there when the Cavs were actually playing really well you know they've they've run off some really nice stretches of playing well and then they've had some awful stretches like when Millsap was out when they lost like 10 of 11 uh, after that 9 and 2 start uh, but I think the Hawks defense is something that I really think can be very good Dwight Howard, still a quality defensive player. Millsap, I mean, those two guys are right up there with the best defensive front courts in the league. When Howard is engaged, they've got a good stopper on the wing in Tabo Cephalosha. The backcourt is less exciting. The bench uh, is a lot less exciting from a defensive standpoint. Uh, so I do think that they can slow down this Hawks or, or this Wizards attack a little bit. Uh, but the biggest problem for Atlanta has been an inability to score. And then for the Wizards standpoint, they have been able to stop anybody since the All-Star break. Right. I mean, both these teams have an identical negative 1.7 net rating since the All-Star break, which is strange. I, I can't recall a time that two teams ever had that ex- had the exact same number, but they did it in kind well, of different... Well, and that it was ne- it's negative, too, for both these teams. I right. Mean, that's... And I mean, this is wi- one of those ones... So, so here's an interesting yeah. part about it. So they're both, yeah. they're both at negative 1.7. The Hawks are 101 offense, and the Wizards are 109 offense. So the Wizards are doing it by not stopping anybody, and the Hawks are doing it by not scoring on anybody. Yeah, and the Hawks in particular without Millsap that's when they really just could right. not score I mean, and, and if you look to at, at some of the offensive ratings from some of their bench guys are just horrific like well into like like the mid 90s like really bad uh both the mid 90s in terms of number and in terms of style uh is, is how often they're scoring um what I was gonna say though that I now can't remember is nothing so uh let, let's move on to discussing some of the lineup issues I think one of the big ones to watch for me is gonna be how long of a leash is Mike Budenholzer going to give Dennis Schroeder because the Hawks a number of times this year have played better uh, without him in the lineup. Right, and John Wall is the type of point guard that can give 
Schroeder a lot of trouble. He's very crafty. He can be a master in the pick and roll. His chemistry with Gortat is is fantastic. They have one of the best pick and roll chemistries in the league. So he can make Schroeder frustrated. And also, as we've seen sometimes in person, Schroeder has a sometimes when he gets a little bit turnover happy, that's also when Budenholzer gets very frustrated with him. And John yeah. Wall, while not the defensive force in the regular season that he has been before, could very well be kind of rearing to ramp that up. I don't know for sure. I'm not saying that with any confidence, but I do want to acknowledge the possibility. Yeah, that is a good point. I mean, this is another one of these series where you know we may see the Wizards go under a lot on Schroeder, and we'll see whether he can actually make that jumper. He largely is not throughout his career, but he can get hot on occasion you know there might be one game where he really is on fire and then he can't hit anything the rest of the series i could see it kind of going that way uh but uh i also think that defensively you mentioned the shooter wall matchup shooter actually had some success guarding bradley beal uh when these teams matched up two years ago uh shooter a little bit beal not really a post guy he likes to run off screen shooter maybe a little bit more equipped to do that and then they might go with a little more size on wall in with someone like uh tabo cephalosha who missed this or series you'll recall. yeah yeah or Bazemore is another one yeah. is very comfortable guarding on ball that's something actually back when he was a rookie he and i talked about that that he he was actually pretty comfortable doing that yeah and i think we saw Budenholzer go to that strategy with damari carroll guarding wall a couple of years ago in some of those close games that they had in that series so i think we could see that happen again that 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 would be the strategy uh also you know what happens with Otto porter if they try to hide someone on Otto porter get more size onto both beal and wall uh are they going to go to porter in the post is he just going to spot up and like try and shoot you know what's going to be the strategy there we'll see whether you know this washington three-point shooting is is going to hold up a lot and then of course the other thing that we should talk about too which i think would be more important in this series is that yan mahimi probably the best defensive player for washington made it back was playing well at the same time as gortat kind of fell off because he uh, looked a little bit more tired uh, after playing so many minutes in the beginning of the year and then now he has a calf injury and you know his availability is in question and you know what we always say about calf injuries they always seem to take longer than the prognosis actually is he would have provided not only a good backup center but a nice fail safe for if Gortat got in foul trouble or just was ineffective for certain moments as their best defensive center it's nice to have that kind of change of pace especially considering Atlanta's backups can be flawed Mike Muscala's had a a, he's had a pretty solid season I I think that he's done well but also something we're going to get to see now just because Millsap has missed so much time is Ersan Ilyasova is probably going to slide in just as the straight backup four unless they feel more comfortable with Chris Humphreys and I think that could end up being really good for Ilyasova. Yeah that's a possibility and we'll see also is Brooks going to go small now on the second unit he probably will probably be Jason Smith at center who actually has been taking some threes you know both he and Muscala are somewhat similar players Muscala may be a little bit more comfortable protecting the rim and as a three-point shooter but uh, you know Smith may be a little bit more higher of a volume guy and then are they going to play Kelly Oubre at the backup for for Budenholzer's part you know they have Ilyasova you mentioned that uh he's been a, a backup four for them they also at times have gone with Tabo Cephalosha as a backup four is Scott Brooks going to go small at the end of games that's another question too will they go with Markeith Morris at center and and play Oubre or uh Boyan Bogdanovich in the closing lineup rather than Gortat we'll see how effective Gortat can be and they might feel hey you know if Howard is in there we're going to get killed on the offensive glass Howard has quietly had a great offensive rebounding season uh but so we got to go with Gortat or do they say hey we're just going to space out Howard and then does Budenholzer play Howard at the end of the game as well or, or do they go with you know a little more mobility maybe they could go with Millsap at center as well I think we it wouldn't shock me if we see some games here where it's Millsap at center versus Markeith at center down the stretch absolutely could see that especially because the Hawks have a, a- kind of an interesting eclectic collection of wings now they traded Kyle Korver of course during the year with Dunleavy with Tim Hardaway Jr. who has done a nice job closing some games with Kent Bazemore uh, and Torian Prince like I could totally see them having more trust especially if the Wizards go small and just rolling with some of those guys yeah Mike Budenholzer really just has 
a cornucopia of wing options. He's got Bazemore, Cephalosha is back from injury. Tim Hardaway has played well. He's one of the best net ratings on the team. He actually has shown the ability to handle and in, in pick and roll a little bit. I think that's something they're really going to need is someone else with some juice off the bounce, especially if they're not going to close with Schroeder. Uh, they've got Mike Dunleavy. Prince has been playing well of late as well. You know, so they have the firepower to go small at the four. They can go Ilyasova also, uh, Muscala, Dwight Howard at, at center. I mean, they, they have a lot of depth now on this Hawks team. I think if they had a better point guard option, I would be a much bigger believer in them. Uh, but Schroeder, you know, we've talked about his limitations many times on this show. I'm not a believer that he's really going to be able to have a, a, a very good series, maybe outside of one or two games here. They're going to have at least, and I'm referring to the Hawks, they're going to have at least one game in this series where they just absolutely can't score. It might even be two or three. And I think that's going to be what costs them a, their best shot of winning the series. Yeah, I mean, but, it, you know, Washington's defense has kind of sucked. Uh, and we'll see whether Brooks can find the combinations to fix that. I mean, to me, that's what it's going to be about. Because with, with Wall and Beal, I think they can, and Porter... I think they can score pretty well. It's just if they can find some kind of a combination at the four and five, because those three guys are obviously going to be out there. Markeith is probably going to be out there too. If they can just find some way, I mean, and I think also maybe what it's going to be too, the advantage of going small is switching everything because Howard, not really an option in the post anymore. Uh, and so this Hawks team has some strengths, but they don't really have anyone who could beat a switching defense. Cleveland has killed them with that. Cleveland has killed them with going under and it's not the same team, but Millsap and Schroeder certainly are are still there they've played key roles in the past so i do think that i like going a little bit smaller because now uh you just force the hawks to beat you one-on-one and they don't really have anyone that i look at as an above average one-on-one player another benefit for the wizards as much as their bench got better with adding William bogdanovich and everything while beal and porter playing a higher proportion of the team's minutes could really transform some of their biggest flaws even without yamahimi yeah th- that's a great point too i uh, because backup point guard I mean, they did get Jennings, but he has been very inefficient. You know, we may not see that much of him in this series. Um, For reference, Wall, another, yeah. the last two years, they, the, the two times he's made the playoffs, he's played between 38 and 39 minutes a game, whereas he's around 35, 36 in the regular season. And considering the stakes of this series, it could even go higher. Yeah, I think he actually that might be brought down by the fact that he like has suffered that wrist injury in the right. in, uh, the series before. I mean, and Washington surely will be wanting revenge for that, even though as we said, it's a different Hawks team. Another smaller rotational issue for Mike Budenholzer is he going to go with Malcolm Delaney or Jose Calderon as the backup point guard? Uh, Calderon really cannot be on the floor with John Wall at the same time. Uh, that's just not going to work. Uh, so and I think Delaney is better defensively. I think he's got a little bit more juice in the pick and roll, although, you know, uh, neither of them really have been that that great uh, f- from getting to the basket for quite some time. But I do think Delaney is better than Calderon, but Calderon, uh, I think, has been playing a little bit more than Delaney during this period. Calderon certainly someone that I think is just going to get totally taken advantage of with his massive weaknesses defensively. Whereas Delaney, you know, not some stud player, but at least he's a guy who's like, you're not just going to go right at him every single time. There also aren't many places to hide Calderon in the way that I think that Washington's going to run their rotations. So it gets a lot harder to put put him on the floor. Yeah, this will be very interesting. Uh, Budenholzer's coaching in the playoffs uh, has left something to be desired for me at times. Uh, Scott Brooks has been better this year. It'll be interesting to see how he does in his first playoffs outside of Oklahoma City that'll be another interesting thing to watch uh and then you know foul trouble I think is something that could be a big issue more for Washington uh, especially with Gortat uh and Jason Smith who is very foul prone as well I mean those are the only two traditional bigs that they even have uh, available who uh are even you know remotely proven players so uh, that could be a big problem and Mahimi you know he's out seven to ten days so I think the earliest he could possibly return is would be game four they're gonna miss him a lot they really are anything else you feel like we need to discuss in this before we go to predictions no I think that's probably uh, about it uh I think it's your turn to go first actually it is for a long time I was leaning Wizards in five and then realized that was way too harsh on the Hawks so I ended up with Wizards in six though I could see this going seven I could see the Hawks winning yeah this is one where I do think they match up okay with this Washington team I mean if if they were playing against a team that has been effective defensively now I guess we should note that Washington was good defensively earlier in the year uh and they've been better defensively in the past and you mentioned Wall's variable effort level 
shall we say uh, so uh, maybe they'll turn it up defensively and the hawks will really struggle to score i'm uh, less optimistic about the wizards defense than you are when you're saying there might be some games where the hawks just can't score at all uh these are also two teams that don't have like the greatest home court advantage in the world so i don't see that really playing in quite as much as it might necessarily in another series i'm gonna go with the wizards in seven uh, I think actually, I mean, I realize that this Hawks team has been, you know, their fundamentals are not that good, uh, but I think that they are a little bit better. You know, I think their actual talent level is a little bit more in line with what their record is rather than what their point differential is, if I really had to pick it. Uh, it's just you know Schroeder implodes I could end up looking really stupid here uh he's just the big weakness for this Hawks team I think other than that they kind of match up uh, pretty well and uh you know we'll see what ends up happening I mean the the Wizards definitely have more star talent uh but I'm just they're playing so poorly themselves that I just I don't necessarily want to say that they're going to win a series against anybody in less than seven at this particular time yeah certainly fair especially considering Millsap will be the best player on the floor for at least a couple of these games all right so why don't we do just briefly let's go through the whole bracket i mean we can certainly revise this as we get into previewing individual series once we know what they are uh but second round you and i both have uh warriors versus clippers uh i assume you would have the warriors advancing in that series yeah do you want a number of games or do you just want the winner no no i think it's too early for number of games that's fair uh, i I, i'm good with that who do you think uh they will be facing in the western conference finals Ugh. I, I could see that the Spurs Rocket series, which we both have, going either way. I'm going to go Spurs. I think that they'll figure out kind of some of their rotational stuff. That, that, could, that could be a, an absolutely wonderful series. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to make picks because they're just like, I don't really believe that well in any of these teams right now. I mean, the more I think about it, like, I mean, Cleveland obviously has a ton of talent. So do the Spurs. But, you know, it's it's really hard to just be like so fired up. I mean, like, you know, nobody had a net rating more than like eight or something, I think, other than the Warriors. Yeah, this that Houston San Antonio series can be really tough. <sighs> I think I'm going to go Houston. I think I'm going to do it. Uh, I, I reserve the right to change my pick once we actually get into that series. But as of right now, I think that Houston, just uh, their style is going to cause too many problems uh, for San Antonio. Um and that Popovich is going to be a little bit too rigid in terms of going with the two bigs, and they don't have any practice playing Houston style. I think Houston is going to force them to conform to their style, and that uh, you know I think Harden has usually played pretty well against the Spurs. So we'll see. I mean, I could feel stupid because Kawhi like locks down Harden the whole series, uh, but you know I think the shooting might just be a little bit too much to deal with. Uh, what about? I will, yeah, I will make a, I will make a small note that at least speaking for myself, I. I do not feel bad at all about changing how I feel about a second round or third round or NBA finals based on what happens. I will use that information. I'm not going to pick a series because I picked it in the past. I'm going to use the all available information moving forward. Yeah, this like, oh, I picked this at the beginning of the year and now, you know, uh, well, I picked Houston for 46 wins, so they're going to lose in the first round. Like, I never really understood that thinking. Like, you know, it's you're trying to just do the best you can with the available information. There's a lot more information available now. So uh, especially this year this year we're like in the playoffs i feel like i'm going to get a better sense of some of these teams uh all right so i I had the warriors then uh beating whoever they play houston in the conference finals um i also would have them beating whoever comes out of the east and i think that they can do it pretty comfortably as well you never know but uh what about in in the eastern conference i mean this is another one of these ones where like all right are we really going to believe in the Cavs again this year or no i am and them facing the raptors in the second round is going to be a lot of fun if that's what happens because I think the Raptors are their biggest threat in the conference I do expect Cleveland to win that series but that could go seven that could be a spectacular series Celtics Wizards are both teams that I don't have a lot of faith in right now but I have substantially more faith at this moment in the Celtics than the Wizards so I'll pick that and they have home court so then pick Cavs Wizards or sorry Cavs Celtics in the conference finals and the Cavs win that you know not 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 like a sweep or anything but I I think that they'd win it somewhat comfortably maybe actually somewhat like the Raptors series the last couple of years yeah I do like whoever comes out of that 2-3 matchup to take it in the east um and yeah I mean the more I think about it it's just like really getting into the matchups and thinking about like what some of the weaknesses
weaknesses that these teams are I mean this Raptors team doesn't have a ton of weaknesses at this point like it's it's I mean other than DeRozan defensively uh they're they can late, put lineups out offense. there for, yeah we'll see but I mean I think that's helped by the fact that they're going to be playing more shooting now with Ibaka at center you know they can spread the floor that simple offense can work a lot better when you have that's shooting true. around it and you can't just load up so well, and they'll be better uh, defensively so they'll get more looks in transition yeah so we'll see I mean Kyle Lowry could lay an egg and you know these guys don't have a ton of chemistry together yet you know Ibaka and Tucker playing with Lowry uh but no I, I mean I, I like this Raptors team it's too bad for them that they're gonna have to play Cleveland in the second round uh but I do I do think Cleveland will get there I think that they their hardest series will be the Raptors not Boston and that they then will make it to the finals and I expect the Warriors to to win that one uh I have I have one off the wall question for you oh yeah let's start before the season I went on Josh Lloyd's podcast uh he does locked in fantasy basketball and he talked about he asked me like for a because I was doing the Warriors podcast though for a bold prediction and my off the cuff prediction was that and I'm, I'm not standing by this now necessarily but it was that the warriors would lose five or fewer games in the playoffs do you have a call on that so that means they go four one and three series and then four two in another series yeah i would be on board with that i mean they're just like nobody else is really that sexy right now to be honest and especially with kd back he looked a little bit better um the, the way that Steph is really rounding into form now too. I mean, that's another one with him playing so well. I mean, if you were, if we were getting, you know, December Steph Curry at this moment, I think it'd be a little bit different, but uh, you know, Steph is obviously going to be very motivated and uh, you know, I'm, he's, I, I'm definitely a believer in, in what he's going to do. I know he, he felt, feels like, you know, part of his playoffs was taken from him last year and he wasn't able to quite be himself. So I think he's going to be very motivated. I mean, for a shooter being motivated, maybe doesn't matter as much as it does for someone like LeBron who can dominate the game athletically but uh yeah no i, I mean I, I would put it right on five as as a good over under maybe even four and a half wow yeah it's gonna this whole thing and, and also we'll see what teams we feel better about what teams we feel worse about in like a couple weeks and that's also ties in with the last thing kind of thing i wanted to mention which is this first weekend is always a blast like it's always so much fun because you get the first game in every series but i think there's so many teams this year that i'm still trying to figure out and i'm trying to figure out how they fare like wizards raptor well, sorry wizards hawks is a great example of this I, I feel like I'm going to have a better sense of where that's going after game one, even though it won't be definitive. Yeah, I'm lo- really looking forward to seeing what Giannis can be in the playoffs. I mean, there's some great individual matchups as well. But I mean, just going back to that Warriors thing, and the Warriors had the fourth best point differential in NBA history this year. And there's probably like nobody else who's in the top 100 right now. I haven't looked at it, but I mean, it is a very, very mediocre year other than the Golden State Warriors. And so that's, I mean, it just looking at any if you believe in any kind of statistical analysis uh and then also just looking at the fact that they have four all-stars on their team and two top five players in the league uh you yeah you would have to expect that they're gonna roll on it and really the only way i see that getting derailed is if lebron james and the Cavs just like really have some type of a renaissance here that you know and, and frankly like i mean the Cavs they got to get to a level far beyond the level that they were that in last year's finals when they went through down 3-1 anyway to even think about about competing with this Warriors team. It's a great point. All right, I think we're done here. Thanks so much to our sponsors, Betterment. Uh, you can find out more about them at betterment.com slash capspace for up to six months of no fees at lower cost automated investing and HBO, the J. Cole special uh, for yours, your eyes only. Thanks so much to them for sponsoring. J. Cole, for your eyes only, a Dreamville film will air Saturday, April 15th at 10 Eastern, 11 Pacific. It is the Grammy-nominated hip-hop star's second HBO special, a multi-narrative show that combines music performances with intimate interviews documented through his lens. The revealing footage contains the heartfelt confessions, concerns, and struggles of people in the American South. It co-reveals the challenges that lower-income residents face in trying to obtain viable housing, discusses the integration in uh, small towns like Jonesboro, Arkansas, where his father grew up. So tune in Saturday, April 15th, 10 Eastern, 11 Pacific, for the premiere of J. Cole, For Your Eyes Only, a Dreamville film, exclusively on HBO. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.